Holmes. As usual, we're your hosts. This is Cody and Jason. Say hi, What's Jason. Hi. <laughs> uh, and today we have a really exciting topic, and it's all about cultures in the fantasy worlds, whether it's books or even some of our own. Um, but before we get into all that, some announcements. Uh, Jason, any updates on NaNoWriMo? Uh, oh, yeah. So... <laughs> So I'm averaging at this point around 1,800. Actually, let me actually get what NaNoWriMo has been doing. I'm average, eh, averaging 1,667 words per day. Nice. Uh, yesterday, I did uh, eight, 1,800. Wait one second. Oh, one minute here. Yeah, yesterday, I did 1,700 words. Day before that, 1,900 words. <laughs> Day before that, I think I, I hit the wrong number, 2020. <laughs> Oh, what a bad year. <laughs> oh, what a horrible year. But no, I've been I've been staying on top of it. I'm finally like at this point, I've already I've done this story a little bit before. I've written some of the chapters, so actually a lot of what I'm doing is revising it, going back and changing some stuff. Now I'm actually moving forward with the story. Okay. From before way before. And yeah. a lot of it is just, is coming together very well. Other times I'm struggling. I'm getting writer's block. I'm having to really think about it. Yeah. But overall, it's going very well. I'm I'm liking where the story is taking itself. Of course, I'm going to be going back in and adding more details cuz with NaNoWriMo it's just like got to get words on a page. <laughs> <laughs> yup, as much as you can. Yeah, as much as you can because you're really trying to hit that word count. So honestly, in December should be interesting cuz then I can actually go back through and like proofread it, add change, and actually, I've even started doing this in some chapters because most recent chapters, some stuff has been happening, and I'm like, uh, just it's not having the same impact as I had in my head. So let me go back there and reread. It. I was like, okay, I'm I'm altering this, I'm adding this, adding this much more detail. I even changed like the way originally I had this character looking yeah. because because again, I was like, oh, he's wiry, spindly. I was like, wait, he. he He's been out in the sun. He does field work. Okay. He's not wiry spindly. He's actually built. <laughs> yeah. So, again, it's just, it's kind of fun because as you go through it, I've had moments, like, again, the days where I hit over 2,000 words, I've just seriously lost myself into just the story where I'm just writing and typing and it's just, it's just literally flowing out of me. Okay. Then I get days like yesterday where I'm like, it's a grind. I'm grinding as much out as I could because like, I know where I'm wanting the story to go. I have my outline, but it's very much like, okay, Kavoth, I'm, I'm using this example from King Killers. Kavoth yep. is trying to find the Chandrian. <laughs> we know he's going to find the Chandrian, but how is he going to find them? <laughs> and what happens when he does? What happens when he does? What happens, what's going to get in there from there? And why is he telling the story to Chronicler? What He's telling the story to Chronicler because he wants to tell the whole story. We're going to get the whole story, but how are we going to get the whole story? It's, <laughs> it's very much that idea. It's like, I know where I'm wanting to take it, but what way to that, but what path is going to make the most sense? <laughs> and so I think I finally found a good path in which it's going to go. Okay. I think I've... It's one of those things where I think when you do revisions, especially as authors like Sanderson does, you have to go through and change a lot of the stuff you already have. You have to yeah. go through, you have to go, because again, sometimes you're just over explaining it. 
And I feel like that's what I'm doing sometimes. Is like I feel like I've said the same thing like 20 times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Repetition isn't always bad, though. Mm-hmm. And especially if it's an important detail, laying it in there and doing it subtly can be an amazing thing. Oh, yeah. Like, there are some stuff where I'm like, oh, I think I was smart to do that. Because, again, when this actually hits, it's going to be a nice little twist. Yeah. And so it's just, it is really fun and it's fun to kind of, for me, I've, I've seriously, I've laughed. I think my strength when it comes to writing is dialogue. I've, I and I know, that. and I know people struggle with dialogue. I know authors are like, Ugh, I hate dialogue. I'm like, are you kidding? I'm cracking myself up. I am just <laughs> so into the dialogue because actually this really isn't much of a spoiler. Uh, the two main characters, uh, so to speak, is Asen and Rem. They're best friends. Okay. One of them, but again, Asin is a nobleman, and Rem is his is his, basically his butler, his his servant. It's his left hand man. Okay, it's his personal butler, so to speak. But they're about the same age. Okay, so it's very much more along because again, and we'll dive more into the culture that I have established with with this town, as we again later of the episode. But those two are like best friends, and at one point they're going shopping. And what Asin is wanting to do is he's wanting to get a gift. Wants to get a gift for, for Rem because he's always been by his side. He wants to show his gratitude because he's about to head off to a magic academy. So he kind of wants to give him a gift uh, to show his gratitude for it. And this is where I pulled from me and you, our experiences a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Added a little bit of a twist to it to where he's actually... He's like, okay, Rem, can you leave us for a sec? And he's talking to the blacksmith. like, okay, I want you to make a dagger for Rem. I want you to make it for him so that way we have a matching set. And it's like, ah, well, I've been hearing some rumors about around the town. And you know what? I'm not one to judge on somebody's preferences. And it's like, oh, dude, no, no, it's not like that. It's not like that. <laughs> and it's just very much like, oh, there's stories about uh, noblemen and their butlers. It's like, no, no, no. <laughs> We're just friends. We're just friends. Oh, that's funny. But what's funnier is afterwards, uh, of course, Rem is curious. He's like, so what were you guys talking about? I was like, huh, apparently there's a rumor going around town that me and you are a thing. And he's just like, oh. And then all of a sudden he just stops dead. He's like, oh my gosh, it makes so much more sense now. That's why she said no. <laughs> she thinks I have taste, a horrible taste in judgment because like, she thinks I'm with you. <laughs> And then, of course, and of course, Asen is just busting up laughing, and yeah. Rem's able to compose himself as like again professional butlers do. It's like so, I have to ask, it was top, <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, oddly, they kept on saying me, and Rem's like, eh, I'm not buying it because again, in those novels, it's usually the butler who it is because it's supposed to be this entire, as these Barry Gavis is like, oh my gosh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and for me, it's just one of those things I'm like, this made the characters feel real. This made them fun. Yeah. So this is where I'm having a blast writing it. And there's a couple parts. Again, where I'm at, I'm kind of struggling because I'm trying to, I'm chiseling the path at this point. Yeah. You do it one hit at a time. And that's what I'm doing. Oh, that's awesome. I'm so. so excited to read some of this eventually. <laughs> oh yeah, eventually. 
once I got at least, because again, I think I got the first couple chapters down pegged. Yeah. Once those are done, I'll, I'll send you a copy of those. Oh, that'd be awesome. And then we'll read it on here. Yeah. All right. So other than that, the usual announcements. Uh, of course, if you guys don't know, we'll have we have our Patreon. So if you want to help get some support that way, we more than appreciate it because we definitely need to up up Cody's recording equipment. Um, <laughs> we also, again, our YouTube channel. This is where our primary focus is is on YouTube, and we're actually getting some good feedback. Uh, last episode, we got up to. 26 27 views 27 views in the week views. which our first video has 26 from a month and a half ago two months ago yeah and that's to date so to honestly date. i think the fans have spoken we need to try to get alec on <laughs> yep <laughs> it's all him he is the good luck charm he is the good luck charm he is the good luck panda we got to rub his belly <laughs> 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 now he's no longer the panda he's the panda buddha <laughs> the panda buddha <laughs> the Punga. Uh, the... <laughs> no. <laughs> hey, you know what? No, no. We already got Panda and his pose. You got the shoots. We got the hoots. <laughs> oh, I forgot Panda pose. <laughs> Dude. Oh, ah, the, stupid sh- the stupid stuff we did in college. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so, and again, we also do have social media. We have our Twitter. And we have our Discord. You guys are welcome to join the Discord, join in on the conversation, talk about favorite parts of episodes, some interesting ideas and interesting theories, or just you want our general opinion on magic systems, feel free to reach out. Or guys, hit the subscribe button, hit the like below. Just we will we always love and appreciate any support that is given. It's we love recording these. We have a blast, if you guys can't tell. And we're just really enjoying this. We are, and it's it's just awesome to be able to share our thoughts and that people are actually wanting to hear some of them. Yeah. But uh, other than that, uh, news and sci-fi slash fantasy this week. Uh, it's not this yeah. week, but next week on Monday is the release of Sanderson's seventh book in the Mistborn series called The Lost Metal. It comes out on Monday, so I will be probably putting a pause on King Killer Chronicles to listen to that. Understandable. Which actually, I have, I want to say, seven hours remaining in King Killer Chronicles. Nice. Of the first book? Of yeah, Name of the Name of the Wind. Uh, where I'm at is Kavoth is actually leaving town for a little bit to chase down the Chandrium. Because he believes they attacked a, a yes. city up north. Yes, at the wedding. Yep. Oh, man. This is that, such a great part. Yep, that's where I'm currently at. So, as he is preparing to leave, he is talking to his loan shark. <laughs> yes, I love her. She's yeah, she, Debbie. I love Debbie. She, as a loan shark goes, she's the best. <laughs> she really is. And she's one of the few people that can outperform Kavoth. Really? Yep. I'm excited to hear that then. <laughs> oh yeah, she kicks his trash. <laughs> oh, okay. So one funny thing I've been seeing a lot of memes on, especially on Facebook. Yeah. In regards to the seventh medal, is that okay? Men, are you holding to the Alethi traditions? And it shows Lost Medals two version, the novel version 
and the audiobook version. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Are you a traditional Alethi man? <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> and I'm like, dang it, I am a traditional Alethi man. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so much more convenient. It's so much more convenient, and you can still get into the story, and you still get a lot out of it. Don't get wrong, I might actually get the book, but... Yeah. Physical books are just amazing. I'm going Which... for a full library. I want a thousand books, so I have my own actual oh. library. Dude, that was one of like, the biggest plus sides with working at Barnes & Noble. <laughs> oh my god. Well, I actually got to touch the Lost Metal, so... But again, didn't read it. Nothing spoiled. Yeah. I just actually got to hold it in my hands. <laughs> That's so fun. But it was, it's just really cool to see all these books. And for me, I'm like, oh, I want this book. I want that book. I want this book. I want that book. I want this book. I want that book. <laughs> yep. And it's not just, and it's not all fantasy. Some of it is like a kind of paganism. Uh, one of them is just like uh, dreams and their meaning. Oh, okay. Like it's a book on like, like 1200 different interpretations for your dreams. Yeah. Uh, Megan loves that kind of stuff. So I was like, oh, I could get that for her. Oh, that'd be fun. Plus, I get a nice discount. Woohoo! 40% off. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. I, I, I'm loving it. Like, this is where I'm like, I might be spending too many paychecks on this. <laughs> <laughs> Understandable. But other than that, uh, do you have any news you want to report on? I'm... I did see that there was something going on, or some more information that came out about the um, Mines of Moria, the Return to Moria. Oh, okay. Um, it wasn't too much more, and I think it was stuff I already knew, but people were saying that it was new. That all seven races of dwarves are going to be present and okay. accounted for, um, and that stealth was a major mechanic in it. Ooh. And, oh, I th I thought I heard that too. Yeah, yeah and then also like, uh, so both light and sound are very big things that attract uh, enemies. Um, okay. So I, I thought that was kind of cool. I am yeah. a little update there. Also, this one is a little bit old news, but I am the Dungeons and Dragons movie has been delayed. Oh, okay. I did not know about that actually. Yes, let's see. What date was it delayed to? I think it's for till 2024 now. Oh, okay. Well, I'm excited to see it. Sometimes the delays could be a good thing. Because oh, go ahead. What, I was going to say, sometimes delays could be a good thing. Because it allows them to touch up the script, touch up everything else, and redress anything that could have gone wrong or could yeah. be wrong. So it's only four weeks. So now it's till March. Oh, okay. Till late March. But I did see a TikTok about this that I thought was hilarious. And it was, in doing this, they have held with a long-honored tradition of D&D &D of having <laughs> to reschedule because someone didn't show up. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> now all they need to do is kill Chris Pine's character, and then the next movie, he comes back as another character. <laughs> yes. That's or what we need. Halfway through. Halfway through the movie. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Gotta keep the party together. <laughs> oh, it'd be so funny. <laughs> oh, that would be just, oh, that would be, like, just cherry on top. And it's just like, yes, this was made by D&D &D fans. Yup. 
Oh yeah. Okay. So I do have some other fantasy news. I remember reading. Uh, this might be a little old news. Uh, Henry Cavill leaving The Witcher. Yep. Yep. Uh, because yeah, I believe like again he did it very professionally. So, but there's speculation that uh, he left because again, Henry Cavill is a huge, huge nerd. Yep. Like I absolutely love the man because of how big of a nerd he is. Besides him being Superman and so many other roles he's done. He's a yeah. phenomenal actor. And on set of The Witcher, The Witcher, actually, he took a pay cut. He wasn't getting paid as much. But he did it because he loves The Witcher. And he was the lore master on set. Yep, and he got in a lot of disagreements with the showrunners. Exactly. And actually, a lot of the writers, apparently, hate The Witcher. Yeah. Like, uh, I can't remember, but one they of the showrunners like books or the video games, or the video they didn't games, like, right. they did not like the Witcher franchise period, which is weird that they're the ones writing for it. Exactly. And so that's where everybody, again, this is where a lot of the stuff in the community is just like, okay, if you don't like it, then why are you on the show? Why are you doing the showrunner? Is it just because you want the money? And, and I, and I feel like that's what's been going on with a lot of the fantasy shows recently is that. It's trending, it's getting a lot of attention, it's getting a lot of money, so people are like, let's go in and do it, so that way we can get the money. But it, what's actually, I think, doing in the long run, is it's actually going to ruin more careers than anything. I think so, too. Because I think we saw that with Rings of Power, which, again, th this is a rumor, they're actually planning on doing a whole reboot of the Rings of Power already. I heard that. Again, it's a rumor. Uh, yeah, again, there's I doubt they're actually going to do that. Honestly, probably what they might do is they'll try to do something to kind of salvage it. Maybe take Guy, Guy Ladriel out of being like the main lead and making it more lore accurate. If anything, that's going to be the safer route to do because they're actually in the middle of filming season two. So that's why I was like, that's probably more likely than a complete reboot. So I agree. Yeah. I think there'd just be too much this. It'd just be a complete waste to throw everything they've already built away, rather oh, than it's... trying to salvage. Oh, no, it's already bankrupt. Oh, it is? Like, because of how bad it actually performed, the show itself is considered bankrupt. Oh, no. Oh. Because, no, again, no, you gotta no, think about it. They Ooh. had over a billion dollar budget, so they needed to have that kind of billion dollar revenue. Yeah. Which, with it tanking, it's all the ads, everything they had for it. Because again, honestly, you got to think also with Amazon Prime, nobody's paying extra for Rings of Power. Yeah, that's true. So in every respect, yeah, Amazon, Amazon as it is, honestly, it'll make it up by just Black Friday. Like that, that's not a big oh, issue. Yeah. Black Friday, Cyber hurting. Monday. Like Amazon itself's not hurting, but the studios itself, the showrunners' credibility, that's what I'm saying. These Amazon series are doing these IPs in the long run. It could actually be hurting their career more. Yeah. Than actually trying to, because that that's the thing is, with anything you do, you need to have a bit of a passion for it. When you have that passion, it shows and it comes across. It does. Which I, I which for me I think is just sad if people don't have it. So. But this is where, again, Henry Cavill was very civilized in all of it. He's like, you know what? I'm passing the sword on to Liam, Liam, Liam Hemsworth. Hemsworth. Yep. And he's just like, 
Liam, treat the character well. He has death, and I'm sure you're going to kill it. He was very professional in his way of leaving, which is why it's one of the many reasons why I love Henry Cavill. That, and he is one of the biggest Warhammer nerds. Yeah. I actually think for one of the Witcher interviews, uh, the bard on the show, I can't remember his name. During an interview, those two were discussing what armies they were playing. That's awesome. The bard was doing Necrons, and uh, Cavill was doing Custodians. That's hilarious. Like, he's just like, all right, we might have to play sometime. (laughs) (laughs) I was like... And that's where that's where I was like, this is where I would love the witch. This is where I love the Witcher Netflix series is because the actors they are fans of it. Yeah. But anyway, so I think we've covered enough on the news for now. <laughs> uh, yes. I didn't realize how much news there really was. <laughs> there is, and our thoughts on the news. Yeah, true. So, so? to the topic, I'm cultures. Developing a culture, whether it's for Dungeons and Dragons or for uh, another tabletop game or for your own fantasy story or just enjoying fantasy novels and looking at culture. I There's a lot of aspects to it, a lot of really fun things that you can do. Mm-hmm. I, but a few examples we want to talk about is starting with Lord of the Rings and its world building. So this is where Tolkien did something that I swear every single fantasy writer now aspires to try to do is that <laughs> Tolkien basically completed his world. He did it so that way he could have his language. I feel like a lot of people are trying to go that route where they try to build their entire world, their entire culture, their entire magic, their entire civilization before they even get started on their story. Yeah. Which, there's a reason why Tolkien is held in very high esteem is because it was the fact that he did do this. He did. And then he decided to write a children's novel in it. <laughs> yep, the Hobbit. <laughs> <laughs> and even still, like, there's a lot of symbolism in it. It's because, uh, again, Tolkien was very much into the classics, like Beowulf. Yeah. A lot of The Hobbit was inspired by Beowulf. In fact, actually, it took more of the approach of he put himself in the story just like, okay, if I was the main character, how would I go confront a dragon? <laughs> <laughs> and so, and that's what Tolkien wrote was within his world. Yeah. I say, and which again, that kind of culture, everything he's breathed into is just done phenomenally, which is why he is the grand, like, he is the father of high fantasy. Most definitely. I really enjoy Tolkien's world building, and I didn't know for a long time that there was more than what's actually in the Lord of the Rings. Oh, same here. And then finding out about the Cimmerillion and about all those different things, and that he has a full creation period and everything. His lore is just so intense, but it's overwhelming how much there is. Oh, yeah. Which is cool, because you can literally dedicate a lifetime to it Mm -hmm. they have Tolkien scholars for a reason it's like it's an entire own subject it's its own history it's its own language it's its own culture and it's just done so phenomenally well like it's it is something that all authors I say aspire to all fantasy authors I should say aspire to yeah to some degree or another 
yeah, to one degree or another. Maybe not to like, oh, I'm making all this just so that way uh, my language that I'm inventing has validity. <laughs> yeah. But I think most of us do it because it sounds like so much fun. And from what we and honestly, in world building, it is just a ton of fun to do. It is. And for me, it really came down to Dungeons and Dragons when I started doing world building for our campaigns. Yeah. I same. And and I took things from Tolkien and the way he did things. I and then applied it to my own. I am. I actually also took things from The Legend of Zelda. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize how much lore there is in that game. Oh yeah, neither did I. And I was able to base an entire campaign around it. I mean, that's what the campaign that we were doing. That's oh, all okay. based on The Legend of Zelda lore. Really? I did not know that. Yeah, and that was the point, is I made it my own. Um, yeah. But it's based on the Civil War that leads up to when Ocarina of Time happens. Ah, okay. Yep. Interesting. Looking back, I was like, I can kind of see it. <laughs> like, yeah, I can see some is, of the parallels. There were some not-so-subtle hints with it, but there was also some very <laughs> subtle things with it. <laughs> like, as a little joke thing, right as soon as you come out of the castle town, basically, because yeah. um, I had everyone go over to at the military base in the middle of the field, which is Long Long Ranch, uh, I had two skeletons sitting outside waiting. Oh, yeah, yeah, and in the game, yeah, there's two skeletons sitting out there. Yeah, at nighttime. It was just, yeah. that was, and so I did that as a little nod to it. A little Easter egg. <laughs> but, so, now, again, we talked to, we talk about Tolkien, Grandfather, Legend of Zelda, tons of lore. What is another good fantasy series that has that kind of lore, that has that culture really delved into it? I mean, there's a few. I am, for me, it's Kingkiller Chronicles. Mm-hmm. That's the one I go back to all the time. Um, but I also know The Wheel of Time has a lot. Yeah, I was, I was going to talk about The Wheel of Time, but I'll let you go ahead and lead with the Kingkiller Chronicles. So, Kingkiller Chronicles, the reason why I love the lore... Um, and the world building is because he does a lot of it through music and through mm-hmm. songs and it's a book so you don't actually like hear the songs unless you listen to audio which makes it a lot of fun um, but just doing those children's rhymes all these like little tidbits from history and it all kind of pulls things together just random stories you hear and things that don't seem like they correlate at all suddenly builds this world and this mm-hmm. past. And so you don't know anything going into it. But everything, every detail said builds the world in his story. Whether it's the Adem mercenaries, which you haven't met yet. I am. That comes in the book too. Okay. But I am. Like, there's an entire culture around these mercenaries and how they formed and all these legends and such that tie back to the truth of everything like that singular actual what happened truth i am then there's the edema rue that basically gypsies there's mm-hmm. I, there's so many things that just cultures and all these things just build this world and everything feels unique i am in the second book one of my favorite things is and this isn't too much of a spoiler i am 
I mean, it's it's just something that happens. It's not like essential to like some crazy thing that happens in the story. Um, but he's in this a country. He's in a different country, and the way that the court works, it all involves different rings. So you have three rings: a hmm. uh, gold, a silver, and a copper or bronze. I think it's bronze. Okay. Um, and you have those three rings, and whenever you want to meet with someone you send one of those rings to the person. Oh. If they're above you in station, you send them a gold ring. If they're below you in station, you send them a, like a copper ring or bronze ring. And then if they're about the same level, you send a silver ring. And all that plays into the politics. I'm, and a unique thing with it is the servant to eyes is the I am. Oh, what is he called? I am basically Baron. I am. Okay, he's okay. not technically the. He would have been the king, but he's not. It's complicated. But I, <laughs> his servant, has everybody sends him the servant gold rings because they want to be in his favor. Okay. And a cool thing that happens at one point is this person sends Kovoth a silver ring saying that they're equals. And oh. that is a statement. Dang. And so it's like that's just a world building thing. And it's just so cool to see the culture, how that shapes it all. And it's a very unique place to the um, university where he's at now. For you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how the culture and everything there is very much academic. It's very focused on this. And it's kind of what you expect from a college. And then mm-hmm. you go to this other place and it's completely different. And you feel like you're in a different world or like a different city, at least. Yeah. Very interesting. Is that, well, I can't wait to get to that part. <laughs> that way I can see kind of like the quote unquote mic drop moment with the silver ring. <laughs> it's It's cool. I mean, and this is one of the things I like about Patrick Rothfuss's writing, is even those things like that, how powerful of a statement it is, is almost glossed over. Mm-hmm. And because to Kovoth, it doesn't really matter to the story. It's part of it, but it's just something that happened to him. Yeah. So, but, sorry, keep going. Oh, no, 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 no. This is And this is where, again, this is what I find is very interesting, is that Every author has their own writing style, the way they approach it. Uh, Patrick Rothfuss is, it's very much, again, you've, I think you've heard me use the hollowed out iceberg theory. I think so. Where, where again, like the whole iceberg theory where, where it's just like you see a little bit on top and then it's massive underneath. Yes. Whereas with authors and their world building, it's a hollowed out uh, iceberg it's enough to where if someone were to look down you're like okay you know what it looks like you have your world built looks like you have everything functioning and ready to go when there's just huge gaps just <laughs> missing because they have they because again to build an entire world takes a lot of time it could take a lifetime yeah to do this so patrick office he's very much and that's what he's done extremely well is if you look at it it's just like yeah he has this entire court system where it's the rings. It's very well developed. Everything is so well crafted. When he's just like, I thought just the rings idea was really cool. <laughs> yeah. And so in the original writing of 
the second book, the rings weren't even implemented. It was on the rewrite when he added more to the story. He came mm-hmm. up with that. And okay. so originally, this wasn't even an important thing. Like, it wasn't even a thing originally. And, mm-hmm. it be- and it becomes, to me, one of the most amazing things. I love that world building with that. Oh, yeah. It is so subtle. And it's and it really comes across, because even as I'm listening to Name of the Wind, the university, the politics that are going inside of it, we don't get into major depth with it because to Kavot's story, it's not that important. But you can see the politicking going around between the other masters. What masters are in alliance with each other, like him and I can't remember the other one's name. It's yeah, so, so Hem's buddy. Yeah, Hem's buddy. Uh, Brandish. Brandish. Right? I think so. Mr. Brandish, I think. It's not, it sounds right. It sounds close, at least. Yeah. But yeah, it's like those two are buddies and how they have their issues and just how, like, again, they all have their reputation. We never get to know. Well, I haven't gotten to know. You might have gotten to know how they got those reputations. And it could be from just what they were, how they started. Only one I felt like we got more info what, on was oh, what, guy who actually knows the names of things. Yes, Elodin. Elodin. Or Illidan, I think is his actual name. Uh, Elo- Illidan so, made Master so, Elodin. Elodin is how it's said on the audiobook, but Patrick Rothfuss does a um, thing where he goes over all the names, okay. and he says it as Illidan. Okay. Very if I remember cool. correctly. I may be wrong on that, so please, anybody, correct uh, me if I'm wrong. Yep. But Comment uh, question of the day. <laughs> <laughs> so... And now we will go to the uh, the yang to that. If that's the yin, this is the yang to the opposite side of the spectrum, where Robert Jordan, I swear, spends books explaining an entire culture. Yes. Not just one book, but multiple books. And I feel like he has to recap it in every single book, and that makes every book longer. Okay, so this might sound like a detour, but I was reading an essay, um, and it was all about confirmation bias. And in this essay, the author, he starts off by talking about this case study that was done. Mm -hmm. And then he talks about a bunch of other stuff. And then later on in the essay, he comes back to that case study. But because he's talked about so many other things, he has to completely reintroduce it and re-go through everything. And that's what Robert Jordan sounds like. I haven't read all those. I haven't read those books yet. Mm -hmm. But that's what it sounds like it is for him. Where he talks about it, but then you have to recap it to bring it back up, and you have to do a full dive to get back into it. Oh, yeah. No, and this is where, again, I will give the entire world of Wheel of Time major credit. The entire culture surrounding every different aspect of the world is done amazing. These cultures are so deep, well thought out, from the Aiel to the Shan Chan. And it's just, it is so amazing on the things they, that he's done with it. There's a reason why the Will of Time is so critically acclaimed within the fantasy community. But again, it does have its faults. One of them feeling like every book, it's recapping the exact same things over and over and over again. Yeah. Like, I will quickly talk about the Aes Sedai. Because real quick in the world... There is the one true power, male half, female half. Male half got corrupted during the breaking of the world. So mostly it's the women who can use the magic mm-hmm. without going insane. So they're called Aes Sedai, and they have different orders, or what they call different Ajas. And each color represents a philosophy within it. 
like the green Aja is the war Aja. The blue Aja is very much more into politicking, scheming. Uh, get, they are very much the ones that are, I'm going to say they're more like spies. They're, they more go out, gather intel, and bring it back to the Armelin seat, who is the head of their order. Then there's the red Aja, who their entire job is to hunt and find men who are using the one power because they're going to go insane. Yeah. And the brown Aja are the lore masters. Just, and then there's the entire politics within each Aja and within the Aes Sedai, within the White Tower, where there's just so much going on. Where, again, there's a reason why like two, three books could just be dedicated to the Aes Sedai on what's going on in their world, which I think they did. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Then you have the Aiel, who are these great, amazing warriors that come from the north who lived quite literally in the desert, who are completely insane warriors, and they have an entire code of honor and ethics. And then you have the Shan-Chan, who, again, the other ones, they're, again, with all these cultures, there's positives and negatives. The Shan-Chan, you mostly see the negative, but it is so well detailed out, you're like, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because the inspiration from the Sanchan is Asia. Oh, okay. A lot of it comes from Asia. We're talking like to the armor style is very reminiscent of the samurai. To the political hierarchy is that of China, where there's the blood. Because basically, uh, way way back, uh, so throughout the Wheel of Time, there is. There's always a prophecy that the dragon is going to come back and start the last battle. He's going to do for basically cause the last battle, which will either break or save the world. And so one of the guys who they believed was going to be the dragon reborn, his name is Arthur Hawkwing. And he's the one that actually goes and, and he found the Sean Chan. He founded them. He is he basically created this culture, created this group. And many, many, many years after Haw Hawkwing's battle with the White Tower, everything, after he's been defeated and he's been dead for years, the Shan Chan were lying in wait, lying in and just waiting. Then they come back and they quite literally can decimate the continent. Because wow. of how powerful they are. Because of their slaves. <laughs> because what they've done is they really strongly believed that anybody that held the one true power was less than a citizen. Oh. So they would test, test and train women. And if they responded to the one power, they were made Dumani. And then... There's their Suldan, Suldan, they're basically their slave handler. They quite literally wear collars and their Suldan has a bracelet. And basically they treat the Dumani like pets. Like, I am not kidding when it is like a pet. Wow. That is the way they treat them. But the Suldan have full control over someone who can quite literally cause chaos. Like, can rain down comets, rain down fire, cause tsunamis. And being a 
Yes. Well, yeah. Soldom means, yeah, leash holder in the old tongue, a dumani. Again, someone who is actually holding it. The adom is what the bracelet is called. Okay. So, and then within the hierarchy itself, with uh, the King Killer Chronicles, you were talking about rings. With them, it is painted nails. It's lacquered fingernails, which is what China actually used to do to determine their hierarchy. Is how many fingernails are painted the higher up you are within the society. Okay. And it is an empire. It is very much, again, it's like the Chinese empire when it yeah. comes to the way it's politically structured. And then it just goes on and on from there to where one of the characters, one of my favorites, his name is Matram Coffin, gets the title Prince of the Ravens because <laughs> he accidentally proposed to the Empress without him knowing <laughs> <laughs> because he didn't know about the culture. Yeah. Because basically what happens is if a the way a proposal happens is if you say, this is my wife, three times. Way back, he had a vision that he was going to marry the daughter of the nine moons. And so when he meets her and she's just like, I am the daughter of the nine moons. He's like, this is my wife. Frick, this is my wife. Frick, this is my wife. And she's just like, you just proposed to me. <laughs> and, and she has basically 90 days to respond, which at that point, Matt actually kidnaps her. <laughs> Not meaning to, but he was actually trying to flee the city the Shan Chen were invading. <laughs> okay. Like, again, the Shan Chen in every respect are kind of the bad guys in, in yeah. a lot of respects. Just because, again, just their slavery, the way they've done everything, it's just like, you do not want them to invade. And they have the power to do so. Only thing that's keeping them at bay is the last battle. They're like, if we literally invade you guys right now, we'll kill you, guys, we'll kill you all, and then the last battle is going to wipe us out. Yeah. That is where the story is so good and so interesting. Is It's very much that political back and forth, but again, just the in-depth culture they have. Actually, at one point, Matt, since at, I'm going to say, Matt does marry her. <laughs> and so once he goes and basically assumes the role of the Prince of the Ravens, becomes the general of the armies. Yeah. Uh, he has all of his fingernails painted. He is second to his wife. He is second to the Empress. Wow. He has no idea what the heck he's doing. So actually, in the middle of the battle, part of his hand is damaged. He's like, di basically, dang fingernails, bites it off and spits it to the side. The guy he was with got promoted because he did that. <laughs> That's <laughs> hilarious. And thing is, his wife knows he knows absolutely nothing about the culture, so she has to like, basically, bullface it. Just like he meant to do that. I pissed at him, but he meant to do that. Because <laughs> he's causing more problems. <laughs> this is called damage control. Oh, Matt is nothing. Okay, so with real quick within uh, the Will of Time, uh, he is what's called a Taviran. Basically, fate will bend reality to meet his will. Okay. His main ability is he is lucky. That is his superpower, is he's lucky. He doesn't feel like... 
he does not feel it like it at all. He's like, no, no, I'm going away from fate. I do not want this. <laughs> but th there's all these signs where he's like, you know what? I'm going to use it to my advantage now. <laughs> That's awesome. Like, this is where he, you hate him in the beginning, but he becomes your one of your favorite characters in the end. Okay. Just because he is so funny. And he's just like, no, I don't want this. I don't want this. <laughs> blast it i gotta do it <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome like if anything i hope that at least gave you like an intrigue into wanting to know more about real time yeah and i've i've had that intrigue i've had a lot of people tell me i should i am um, it's just trying to get all those other stories done first and yeah it, <laughs> it's a list it is a long it list is. so but eventually i'll get there yep same here. I'm slowly chipping away at the list you gave me. <laughs> There's so many. There's so many. Uh, but yeah. Well, I am. Now I kind of want to talk about mine. All right. I was going to say, now we get to our world building. And I was going to start off. So, Cody, oh. where do you start with world building? So, the way that I decided to start with all the world building is I thought about really what would be i wanted to be to make something unique i didn't want something that just is a cut and paste uh, of rome or of egypt or of those things because that's originally how i did things is there's just kind of a cut and paste this is what it was and you'll still see some of those in there because that's how it originally began mm -hmm. but when i actually started looking at building a culture i thought about just trying to find something that was a little bit different and what and just kind of playing off of that i am and i thought about what the areas already had so like i'm we'll pull up a map of this but the world i made i am or a region of it i am there's a country in the northwest called rorinth that's very much so i'm like a logging community they're renowned for their uh, exports of wood and of horses. Those are the two main things. Just the region it really caters to that. There is an entire like there's actually a few forests in this country. I am by one major one, and then there's a really nice plains where they breed some of the best horses. And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about what be something a little bit unique where people would come here and then they would be very put off by coming here from any other nation. And I had this idea that, and this was really what developed the entire culture. And this, it all pretty much sums up to this. So, their entire thing is making things as good as it can be, and their belief with it is that it's through I am so far like wood, like getting the woods, is that they do kind of modern techniques to get it exactly the way they want it. And so bloodlines and doing like I'm trying to remember what it's called with plants and such. Um, well, the specific thing of like I'm setting plants to be exactly the way you want them. So 
it's not breeding, but like grafting different trees together to be agriculture. Yeah, so it's the agriculture. I'm, um, but it's like with grafting trees specifically. I can't. It's basically that. Um, oh, uh, pruning and yes. Yeah, okay, yeah. It's things with pruning and grafting where I am. Um, all of it ties together though to be the culture where everything, like bloodline, is everything. I am um, even for peasants or for anybody. I am. Um, so. In this country, in their culture, the greatest blacksmiths, it becomes a bloodline. And it becomes a a game of politics of who is the oldest son of the highest like blacksmith family. Who is he going to marry? And if you get married into that family, you're now part of this illustrious family who now sits on a council. Because they are the pure, like the best, purest bloods. I am... And it becomes something that's conflicting to every other country. And every other country looks at this and goes, you know, that's really weird. That's different. And they actually begin looking at Rorinth as a very negative place. There's a lot of negative stereotypes because they do things very differently. Um, and that's how I started with it is I just went country by country and just what is their, what is their thing that makes them them? So if you look at countries around the world, what makes Britain Britain? And obviously there's not one thing, but what makes Russia Russia? What makes Japan Japan? What makes Mexico Mexico? And looking at kind of the core of things and seeing that it's a lot based on the region around them. And so that's where I went. I had the map mm -hmm. of everything and I started with the region and then I expanded on that. Okay. So this is where I did a little different approaches. First off, <laughs> I figured out the politics first. <laughs> yeah. Because I feel like politics is greatly what will shape a country. So what I did is I went country to country and picked what kind of politics they were. Like, were they an empire? Were they a monarchy? Were they a republic? Mm -hmm. uh, what was the other? A theocracy. Going through and then picking that and then... That actually started to dictate, okay, the nobility. How did things begin to function? At least in that big old, big scheme of it. Because this is where I looked at U.S. history. Where a lot of us was a lot of <clears throat> really what makes us who we are. <laughs> I'm sorry, I hate to say it. Is our Bill of Rights. That is seriously, honestly, what makes American American. Yeah. Because how many, <laughs> I'm sorry, this is where <laughs> we're West boys. We're Wild West boys here. But Second Amendment, how many of us are like, yeah, bear arms, baby? <laughs> if it goes boom, we go good. <laughs> like, I know, right? Like, that is very much like our mentality because that's very much, and for me and you, very much that was ingrained to us as part of our culture was the cowboys, the just guns. Guns were introduced pretty early in our lives. Yeah. And it is very much a part of our culture. Weapons are a part of my religion. <laughs> this is the way. <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless, it is very much that is what's ingrained to us, along with, again, one everybody I know stands for, freedom of speech. Like that, it is very much the government is what will help and shape a culture. Even going to what makes Japan, Japan, back in the feudal era, it was all about being the top warrior and being one that could inspire leadership 
so it was all about honor in, in a lot of respects. Don't get me wrong. There were a lot of shoguns who weren't honorable. Yeah. But those that rose above the rest were honorable. So that's why Japan, honor and family is so strong and nailed deep roots. And family is, I'm going to say, a part of every single culture. Because we even go to Islam, Egypt, Babylon. It is all about family. It's all about your lineage. Yeah. So all of that comes down to some other different degrees. So really finding what political structure going with then starts to feed out, okay, now we have figured out like the nobility because the nobility bloodline is going to be what also branches out. What's going to have influence? Because actually even in my world in Durham, uh, it's the country is actually split into two political factions. One faction is very much an empire. The other one is <laughs> a chaotic democracy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Republic, actually, is more the chaotic republic I'm thinking about. Okay. Anyway, I-, I focus more on the empire side because that's where my story is taking place so far. Yeah. But with it, the emperor, empresses, or however that lineage has been going down, they've all had sway one way or the other. One of them was we needed to, like, one of them instituted slavery. Now, down the line, they're like, okay, we can't exactly take it back yet. I do not agree with it, but we need to come up with a better form than slavery. Uh, and to very much like she inspires fashion, which fashion is very much a part of culture as well. I actually have that as one of my things as well. Because fashion is very important, whether people acknowledge it or not. It really is. It's true. And that's something that can really make each region or each area you go to or talk about very unique. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... and that's actually what makes Way of King so interesting with the Alethi and the whole with Voronism with the safe hand. How the left hand always has to be covered up and that if you even wear a glove, it's scandalous. Yeah. Which really makes the world a lot more interesting and intriguing. And so when you read it in the book, that's like, and she revealed her safe tape, you're like, oh, my stars. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just some of the fun things that you can do with culture. It's just very much like, it's so fun when you start coming up with some of that stuff. It's true. So I, one of the things I did was when I went over building each culture, is I took the nation, and this is my list of things that I went through. I'm, I have the list of cities. I have a list of landmarks, so natural things, mm-hmm. such as in Rurn, there's the Crescent Mountain Range, the Immortal Forest, things like that. I went to religion. What is their religion? Then yes. what is their defining culture thing, which is what I talked about? And then I have fashion. What like When you go here, when you see someone that's typically from Rurn, what do you see? And so I went with like, because they're more the forest people or they're working with horses, they're much more agriculture in that way. But their leaders, like the best of the best, are actually basically rangers from D&D. Okay. Uh, and so when you see some from Rorth, you're going to see them wearing more natural colors and materials. You're going to see leathers and you'll see cottons and things, but much more of natural muted colors. Uh, you'll see bearded men you're going to see women with braids in their hairs you're going to see things in that way in the that's the style of everything i am and so those were kind of the major things and then i put superstition is one of the major things for each nation as well what are their superstitions what are things like the random 
I things that they believe. So for like Russians have Baba Yaga and like that kind of thing, and then just major events that happened that shaped the nation, mm-hmm. and that's really what I developed for their full culture. Okay. So then, okay, one I would say I know for me once I've established the politics, I start then building up the lore. Because yeah. that's again, that's one thing we both agree that uh, the King Killer Chronicles has done amazing with, is that a lot of it is it's the stories, yeah. because even if you look at Polynesian culture, it's all stories that's been passed down from generation to generation. And what's even more amazing is that within Polynesia, it's actually passed down by word of mouth. Yeah, and so it is those stories that really make it really what makes the culture itself. It's the stories. It is the lore. So once you begin crafting the lore, everything starts beginning to dictate on how things, how people then make the, their decisions. But again, just always coming up with cultures. I, I always feel like when it begin getting into the nitty gritty of it, I struggle with. Yeah. Like how, what is the thing that you struggle seeing? So, again, uh, so within my own story that I've been doing for NaNoWriMo here as I've been writing it, like, okay, I have kind of the basic noble houses. I kind of generally have a hierarchy on how it's all done. I know how they're going to make their money. But what exactly are the customs? What exactly really is something that only a noble would do that a commoner would not do? What's something that they wouldn't do? Don't get me wrong. There is always the standard of etiquette. There's the standard of, like, dress. There, there are those standards. But, again, using... Uh, the whole safe hand example, or even with Sean Chan, the painted fingernails or the rings. What is, I'm trying to come up with something that really makes a culture unique. And that, that's where I seem to be struggling. Okay. Because, you yeah, know, even like this is where languages also could play a part of it. Because even looking at King Killer Chronicles, uh, Willem's, Willem's culture, same with uh, the Artifice Master. Yes. There Mr. is Kelvin. Mr. Kelvin. Uh, their, their entire language is completely different to where they have different uh, idioms. Yeah. Uh, or co-wic- yeah, co-wicula- I can never pronounce Co-wicula-isms. that. That's the word. <laughs> I cannot pronounce that word to save myself. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. And that is a big thing. And that's something that is very unique to each country. I am. And And, even just to timeline. Yeah. So here's one that's kind of cool just seeing how this applies to real life. I am. And the United So in English, the United States, we have the saying of I am. Break a leg. Yeah. And that, I mean, we all know what that is. It's basically good luck and all that. Well, in Russia, they have a similar saying. It's Nipuka Nipra, which means no line, no fish. So basically, I hope you don't catch anything. But a fun thing is in Russian, they actually have a response to it, which is Kajortu, which means go to hell. <laughs> um, it's In that context, it's not like... It's not rude. It's not rude. It's just that's the response. Um, and so it's that thing where... Each one has their own thing. It means the same thing, but these are two completely different sayings of break a leg and no line, no fish. 
So it just things like that I just think are really cool, and it's a fun thing to implement into these worlds. I uh, that do build a lot on culture. Yeah, I say actually I've and actually one of the things that I absolutely love with fantasy series is when they come up with their own curse words. Yes. Because I know for will time, like, it's blood and ashes. In uh, Stormlight, it's Storm It. Yep. Uh, like, those are some of my favorite things. Is Actually, one of the things I enjoyed with Star Wars is when they go, ah, Crip. Like, just... <laughs> I, say, I still love blood and ashes from will times just because that, that feels so so natural. Uh, yeah. Well, here's one. I am Firefly. Gorum. Oh. Gorum. And then Shiny. Like the Gorham ship. Yeah. And all things like that. And that's just one of those things where they just add it in and it adds so much to it. Even if it's silly, it adds to it and it becomes a favorite. Oh yeah, and and sometimes those little things really what make the book so much more fun. Yeah. Cause again, uh, going back to a little time, uh one of the queens begins to learn how to curse oh no but again it's always like honestly i'd say it's equivalent to like your mama jokes <laughs> like it's just like and may you it's just like and suck a goat's a goat's udder <laughs> <laughs> like it's something like that and they're like did she just say that <laughs> <laughs> that's funny and for her she's just like i want to learn more curses <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. Like, this is where when the culture is very well established and you can start making references and stuff to it. Oh, that's where, honestly, the book begins to just soar. Where yeah. it just because it really makes you feel like you're a part of it. As, and actually, I was able to. I did one curse so far in my story. <laughs> yeah. What'd you do? Uh, let me quickly pull it up. Because, <laughs> oh, yeah, I kind of told you a little bit about it with Asin and Rem. How... Uh, <laughs> Basically, they were accused of having a uh, having relations, but yep. so Asen's response is the curse. Uh, let me see here. Okay, I'm in the right area. So along this lines, just to share, when I was on my mission, I, me and my companion, we went to I'm Subway. We we're ordering food, and someone had given us money for dinner that night. And so we're going to pay together. And the uh, lady who's doing it, she looks at us and goes, are you guys together? And <laughs> we look at each other and we're like, we're together, but we're not together. <laughs> <laughs> it was just one of those funny times where it's that situation. But okay. Go well, ahead. Yeah. I'll read the passage because, again, I, I did summarize it before we started the podcast. So this yeah. will be a little excerpt from what I've written so far. So, real quick, yeah, I was just like, uh, let me see here. Could you make a second identical blade? I want to get Ren something. I got a couple of surprises for him. Everything is in the works right now. But I need your oath that oath on this, that you won't tell Rem. Uh, can you do this? Kendrick smiled. Of course, lad. It's good to see you two like this. Asa looked over puzzled. What do you mean? Well, don't get me wrong, boy. There has been many stories about a young lord and his servant. And, well, I don't want to say anything to offend you, but what happens? Kendrick! <laughs> by the stars and by the Elder God's breath! Rem and I are just friends! <laughs> How dare 
dare you insinuate such a thing? <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. But even just adding that little, like, quote-unquote curse word, it just makes it a little bit more fun. It does. It is that's where the fine details really go a long way. Yeah. No, I definitely agree with that. I am. So something that I'm trying to implement in mine is there's a specific character that in pretty much any situation will pull out one of those colloquialisms from some random country. So, like, they'll be... I over in like the capital of Surst, which is a very much like industrial place, and he'll pull out some random idiom from Illustria down in the far south of like this coastal place and just say some random thing. And so it's like hearing a southern saying, or so it's like, man, he's more nervous than a long tailed tomcat in a room full of rocking chairs, and just pulls <laughs> these random ones out. And that's an actual one I've heard, and I thought it was hilarious. But <laughs> I, he, every situation, he just says this, and people are like, "What does that even mean?" And he goes, "It's obvious," and that's that's just what he always does. Um, it, it's just one of those things to pull up from. But what we were talking about with those idioms and from all these countries and how they're all so unique and have these things. Actually, I think one funny, I think I, I said this before, but I think one funny thing is you can have a culture that, like, they had, like, a legend that there'll be someone that will be giving out random wisdom. And they <laughs> see this man saying these random quick little was like, oh, by the Omnissiah, he has come! <laughs> like, the legend has been fulfilled. And he's like, dude, this is just a nurse, nervous take I got, man. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. And they're like, oh, he's spoken again. We worship him at his feet. I think that. (laughs) I think that because, again, that's where some a lot of times cultures that that are so drastically different create the best comedy. (laughs) They do. They're just misinterpreting each other is hilarious. Like, it's not even just like misinterpreting each other. It's like. They believed one thing, and you're like, dude, this is just normal. They're like, oh, that is awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it's just, it is so, it's so much fun. Like, I'm trying to think if there was an instance when I was in Japan where something like that happened. I'm sure there is. I just can't, I'm just having a tough time pinning one down. <laughs> yeah. Just. So, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, it's just, it's so much fun. <laughs> it is. So here's a world building thing, just interaction between two of the countries. I am so Roranth and Surst have had a friendly competition throughout their entire history of being at war, but they're not actually at war. I and it's it's one of their two major events that happen every year. It's called the War of Immortality. In the immortal forest, there's a center point, this massive tree, and there's the elites from Rorth and the elites from Surst on the winter solstice start at the edge of the forest on either side, and they rush to get to the middle, and whoever is able to plant the flag first claims that territory for that year. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, it's like the, oh, there's a country that's just like on the border. It's it's a drink. It like whoever like they they take it's over an like island. Bike. So yeah, there's the island where they go and they were each year they replace the flag and they'll leave a case of their uh, like country's alcohol for them. Yeah, <laughs> um, it was roughly based on that. 
but it's just like it was just a fun little thing that they do together but it's so they can train and basically it's war games for them oh yeah no actually, i actually have something similar in another one of my countries in my world yeah where it's actually what it is it's basically the two there are two very powerful cities in the country that go to war with each other like mockly so that way it's it's very much like again the way we treat sports teams here it's like that but with war games yeah and so it actually turns into a fantastic again turns into the super bowl (laughs) where the magic academy is like we have arcane tech we want to test so we're going to use these war games to test them and then if it works we're going to sell it (laughs) And advertise it. And this is where the company actually, uh, not the company, if the country really wanted to, within a few years, they could start taking over the world because of their military prowess, because of these war games, these practices, and then the arcane tech that's funding them. Yeah. Like, this is where, again, and that's all part of the culture that it has. And that, and again, I, I, cultures are always so much fun, so interesting, and it really is what makes stories come alive. Like, heck, we even quoted The Mandalorian, for crying out loud. (laughs) Just offhandedly. Because it is so much, like, it is the culture of the world and is now so much part of our culture. Yeah, it is. And media is a big part of that. And that's one of the things that would be a good way to build culture, is doing different, implementing different plays or songs or those type of things. Which is one that Patrick Rothfuss does really well with the, the Maru. Um, mm-hmm. and knowing which ones to go to which country and things like that. Um, but that would be a good thing to implement as well in the stories, is having those little moments. I I don't know if you remember, I, but to me this was a really fun session that we did for a D&D, where mm-hmm. your group was kind of ahead of schedule and on yeah. everything, and so you guys ended up at a tavern, and I just I, I actually played the song Seven Drunken Nights. Yep. I, I remember that. It just let it play. We just had fun. And it was just taking that moment of sitting back and relaxing and enjoying something like that. And those moments can be really precious moments in the story where it's, oh, do you remember when we just were at that tavern and this happened? And Mm -hmm. contrasting with immediately after where there's a huge battle. Yeah. And this is where, again, this is where I think both of us are going to give this DM tip for anybody that's, like, huge into Dungeons & Dragons and being a dungeon master. In a lot of respects, sometimes it's better just to let your players run wild. Because, because again, yes, prepare, yes, have stuff ready to to go. But there will be times that your players just will unexpectedly surprise you with something that you never even thought of. And it will lead to some of the greatest moments. Yeah. And it will be something you will forever be able to talk about. Like one time, like, yeah, the one time we went to the tavern to do that, or the one time I had a player all of a sudden pose as an NPC and give off a quest to find a cabbage. <laughs> like, it is those little moments that truly make stories, makes games so magical. And I am a firm believer that, in my opinion, one magic system that spans every single universe is storytelling. The way we're able to create a world 
in our own minds just by using words is something that is truly magical and truly amazing. Yeah. And that's really what culture does, and that's what culture brings to the table, is that a world that you feel like you're living in and brings these experiences and stories together. It makes it real. It does. And that, I think, is a fantastic place to put put a bookmark in for right now. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> All right. So, again, guys, uh, please hit like and subscribe, please. Like, this is where I think we're both just loving having these chats. And we would love for you guys to be able to join in on it. So, right now, we'll put a bookmark into this discussion of cultures. And we will catch you guys next time. See you guys next time.